My message this morning is it's entitled uh, The Shepherd Sees the Moment. I really like this message. I really, as I putting all this together, I felt moved by it, but, but, I, but I didn't love it until this morning. And, and you know, there's times that you just, when the Lord's asking you to do something, you may not always feel super inspired, but I felt this is what I was to put together. And, 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 it, and I really enjoyed putting it together, but I wasn't in love with it until I had a, we had a word of knowledge given to us in our first service. And in that word of knowledge, it talked about being in a moment, communicating with God. At that moment, I knew why God led me to this word for you today, to seize the moment. We need to be able to communicate with him. I can't communicate with God from the past or in the future. I need to be talking to God today, this very moment. So I don't like all this stuff that's happening, but too bad because it is. But I don't want that stuff to distract me for seizing the moment and what God wants to be doing. I, I get excited about it. I get excited about worship. I get excited about giving unto the Lord because I know what that work is doing and touching lives here locally and touching lives around the world. I, I get excited about Christmas because I love to be able to give. People love to give, and that's what motivates them to get excited about those things. Let me ask you a question. Maybe it's, it's like a poll. And, and that question is this. How many of you have a hard time keeping a secret? Okay, one. One of you are honest. Okay, this. How many of you could just sit on a secret all of your life? Oh, no. Okay, there's a few of you. Now, how many of you are not telling me the truth? No, don't, don't have to raise your hand on that. Oh, no. <laughs> So, you know, Arlene loves surprises. And, and when, when our kids were young, what she would do with our gifts, Christmas gifts, is that she would put no name tags on them. So you say, how do you know whose is whose? Well, she would wrap my sons in one certain wrapping, our daughters in another, mine in another, and hers, well, she knows, well, she gives me you know, the wrapping paper and I wrap it. But that's the only one I knew. No one else knew it until that morning of Christmas. Then we knew. That crazy guy, sorry, babe, you're watching this. She would wrap even the gifts in, in, in the uh, stockings. How many of you wrap the gifts in the stockings? Okay, so, man, I had a man raise his hand. That frightens me. And, uh, it's, it's, I'm thinking, it's already wrapped. It's in a stocking. That's my mindset. Uh, and, and yet, it loves those, those surprises that, that morning we're able to open them up. You know, there's an incredible surprise element about the, um, the birth of Christ. And what I love about that, that surprise element is, is that who Jesus chose to be a part of it all. He chose this peasant girl, not a woman, girl. That, that to be the mother of Jesus. <laughs> he surprised us where this child was going to be born. And, and he really surprised us who he announced it first to outside of Mary and Joseph, of course. It was to the shepherds. 
Why would God choose to tell the shepherds about the birth of Jesus Christ as the first individual? You know, I would go to the local TV station, you know, the local news station. Uh, I, I would get that out there as much as I can. He, he chose these shepherd men who were all alone. No one is really paying attention to them. So, so I want to talk to you about this a little bit. Because, you see, what he chose is just common people. And, and don't be offended, but, but we're about as common as we can get. Uh, and, and he chose he chose these these shepherd men on the side of this hillside, and and I think it's really fitting, because he chose these shepherd men who took after the sheep, who the Lamb of God was to be, and and he chose these these shepherd men who it was their living and and preparing for for the sacrifices to be taken care of in the temple in the morning. And in the evening, he chose that every day that this was going on. And here's the, the uniqueness of this Christmas story, is that not only were these shepherd men common, but really they were really looked down upon. Because, see, they didn't keep to the law of cleanliness regarding the Jewish people. So they looked at them as, well, you're not following the law. Well, how could they? They were out in the fields, sleeping with the sheep, taking care of the sheep. It's, it's not like they had a shower out there that they could clean themselves every time they would touch one of these, these animals. And so they looked down on them in something in which they, well, they had no choice. This is what the calling in which they were given to do. And it was not a job that, that everybody wanted, but it was their job. You know, and, and no one really wanted it. It's not like they bragged about it, but this is what they did. It's, I, have, you know, I have never heard of anybody come up to me and I, and, and I say, hey, it's great to get to know them a little bit. I say, hey, what do you do for a living? I collect garbage. No one has ever told me that. I'm really proud of that. You know, but how many of you would want to live in a, a community that no one collected garbage. Uh, we, someone has to do that. Now, truth you know, the, to the word is, is probably, they, I hear they make pretty good money, so, so I'm not going to speak against that. But it's a dirty job in which they have to do. Well, I, I'm going to give you some insight about why God chose these shepherd men. First of all, as I said, it was their occupation. Who else? How creative is that that God chose to choose these shepherd men who were taking care of the sheep and specifically taking care of the sheep outside the community that those sheep were, or those lambs were brought to be sacrificed in the morning and in the evening. The other thing is there was their expectation. In, in Luke 2, verse 15, it reads this way. When the angels had gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds began saying to one another, what would you say to them if you had a whole uh, host of angels come and give you an announcement? You know, you talk about a singing gram. You know, someone come to the door, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. You know, they're dressed in a clown outfit or something of the sort. 
but you have these <laughs> this hallogenic in host. And and I don't think it was a nice trio or quartet. I think the sky lit up. And there was this sound coming from it. And and some people think it, maybe it could have been this a cappella group, you know, this singing. <laughs> I, I think it was a symphony coming around them. I mean, the, the, there had to be the brass, the, the, the woodwinds, the, all the percussion, the French horn, my favorite, all that kind of stuff you know, that is sounding off and this great announcement being proclaimed to him. He says, let us then go straight to Bethlehem and see this wonderful thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. You see, these shepherd men didn't miss around. They seized the moment. You know, there's that seize the day, carpe diem. Well, they seized, not the day, they seized that moment. Now, in seizing that moment, I want you to see something very beautiful about it. Because what they did, number one, is, is that they found out what God is doing in the neighborhood. <laughs> it was an old-time ancient, you know, uh, uh, what is his name in the neighborhood thing? Uh, yeah, Mr. Rogers, you know. Uh, now, this was the first, maybe. Because they were checking out what's going, <coughs> excuse me, what's going on in the neighborhood. I want you to know, church, God is doing something around us. We may be tired of what is happening all around us. You, you, uh, you, the new words that come up is, is uh, pandemic fatigue. People are just getting tired to hearing about it, tired talking about it, tired how it's increasing or decreasing and all this. It's just, I'm tired of it. Well, there is, there is this statement that was made that something's going on around us, but we're being distracted. And verse 8 says, and in the same region. That kind of shouts out to me. In the same region, something was going on. So many times that we get so busy in doing what we're doing or thinking about what do we need to be doing in the future or complaining about what has happened in the past that we miss out on what God is doing right now around us. Charles Swindoll, in one of his books, Devotions for Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life, he was aware, made a statement in the sense of what was going on in the neighborhood in the year 1809. Now, we may have not been thinking of, now, I wonder what was happening in the neighborhood in 1809. Well, Chuck said this. If Dan Rather had been living in 1809, the evening news broadcast would have concentrated on Austria, not on Britain, definitely not about America. The attention would have been entirely in the world of what Napoleon was doing as he swept across the countrysides with fires, like a fire um, blazing in the Kansas wheat fields. Nothing else was half as significant on the international scene. The broad brush stroke of the historian's canvas gave singular emphasis about this bloody scene of the tyranny created by this pint-sized dictator 
of France and from uh, Trafalgar, Trafalgar and Waterloo, the name of this guy was synonymous to superiority. At the same time, though, during the invasions and the battlefield, babies were being born in Britain and in America. And who would have been interesting in the babies being born when Austria was falling? Who would have been concerned about cradles and cribs and, and the history that was being made at that moment? What could possibly be more important in 1809 than the fall of Austria? Who cared about an English-speaking infant that year in Europe and in America? But someone should have. Yet, at that time, a veritable host of thinkers and statesmen drew their first breath in 1809. William Gladstone was born in Liverpool. He was a British statesman and a politician. He care, his career lasted for 60 years. He served for, as prime minister for 12 years in the United Kingdom. That went from 1868 to 1894. Alfred Tennyson began his life in um, Lincolnshire. He was a famous writer and poet. Oliver Wendell Holmes carried, uh, cried out his first breath, breath in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He was a, a famous, well, one of the most famous of the United States Supreme Court justices. Edgar Allan Poe, a few miles outside of Boston, cried his first breath of his tragic life. He was an American writer, poet, editor, and literary critic. A physician named Charles Darwin breathed his first breath in 1809, and he taught the theory of biology, bio, um, the biographical um, evolution. And then, in this rugged Kentucky log cabin, was owned by an illiterate laborer, an infant filled that small cabin with the cries of his birth, and his name was Abraham Lincoln. All of that and more was happening in 1809, and who cared? Well, I want you to know that during that time, God was doing something around the world, and no one was even aware of it. Let me take you back 18 centuries. There, in the, the birth of a baby in Rome, no one was caring about that. The splendor of Rome and its power went as west as the Atlantic, east of the Euphrates, north as um, by the Rhine and Danube, and, and south of the Sahara Desert. The Roman Empire rolled. Political, well, intrigue, to say the least. Racial tensions, increasing immorality, in poverty, Enormous military power. Am I reading today's news or am I reading something about the birth of Christ was happening? Palestine, Palestine was under 
the crush of the foot of the Roman Empire. All eyes was on Augustus and the cynical Caesar who demanded a census be taken so that he could rob people more of their money through the taxes. What could possibly be more important than Caesar's decision in Rome? Who cared about a baby being born in Bethlehem? God did. Without realizing it, Mighty Augustus was only an errand boy for the fulfillment of the prophecies of Christ. A piece of lint on the pages of prophecy. When Rome was busy making history, Emmanuel arrived. He pitched his fleshly tent in the silence of the night on a straw in the stable under a starry night and a star. The world didn't even notice it. When, when you're reading about Alexander the Great, Herod the Great, Augustus the Great, the world overlooked Mary's little lamb. See, the first lesson that we need to be aware of is that God is doing something in the neighborhood. Hmm. See, uh, with, with the craziness of this pandemic, political lunacy, the, the, uh, the economy, people losing their jobs, people in chaos all around us, who's paying attention to what actually is happening? We see that. But I want you to know, God is doing something. So who, who would be paying attention of what God is doing in this time next door where our children are meeting? I want you to know something is that we don't. We don't just uh, babysit your children. We just don't get activities for your teenagers is that we have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives because in 10, 20, or 30 years from now, those children can be world changers in what God is doing. And you have the opportunity to invest in those lives right now. The most simple things that you would do. I always take that opportunity to say hi to greet our children, to give them a high five because I want them to know that I believe in them as a child. When I was growing up, walking in, well, past the pastor was scary enough. Going into his office, it was beyond walking into the principal's office. I thought I was walking into the gates of hell or something, you know. That, the preacher scared me. That there's no way I would ever want to be alone with him. I learned differently over the years because I want them to, those children to know that I am their pastor and I believe in them and they have value and worth in my life and the life of the body of Christ. There's, I'll never forget a small child looked up at me. I was standing beside her grandfather. And she, and she looked at me, and she said, 
my grandpa, my pastor, my pastor. That's why we have Pastor Nicole and Pastor Steve working with our children and youth because they have value in us. But you see, even beyond that, sometimes we don't know what's going on in the world around us or even right here. I, I, I love sitting in a men's Bible study on, on Saturdays at 10 o'clock men. Or did I say every Saturday at 10 a.m.? Not this Saturday, it's, it's, but it would be after that, the following Saturday. It's at 10 to 11 o'clock. Sometimes it's earlier, sometimes it's later. It will always be announced. But, but what I love is sitting down and seeing what God is doing in men's lives. I, I, I love the idea that, that when I hear about our women, about when they have their Bible study on Tuesday mornings, I hear what, what God is speaking into their lives, and I know that those women are women of prayer. They come before the Lord and pray for the needs of the body of Christ. I, I, I love the sitting in on a, a Zoom meeting on life groups, hearing what God is doing in the lives of, of people. I, I love doing going to our times I would walk into a grief share ministry, or they do it online now in the Zoom ministry. And, and there, is, there is this work of God bringing healing and the brokenness of people's lives and bringing purpose and life into them. I love it Wednesday nights from 6 and 7. You may not be aware of it, but we have a 12-step spiritual journey. It is the most incredible study of God bringing healing and purpose and renewal in people who have addictions in their lives. It is an amazing study. I go in there. I shouldn't say it this way. It says, you people are addictive to me. No one laughs at that moment. There's a... But, but I hardly could leave because I love hearing their transparency, their honesty, and their hope, which they have in Jesus Christ. I, I love what's going on right now is in, right to the left of you in a room that as well as really is two rooms that was opened up to be one room. There's a deaf ministry going on right now. What, could, what would God be doing with the deaf? But God is doing something. In fact, I've come to believe that maybe the depth is the last region to be reached before he comes back. Because that is a neglected group of people. And we are ministering to those individuals right now. You see, I want you to know that God is doing something in the neighborhood. And he is up to something. The second observation is the opportunity comes to those who are fulfilling their responsibilities. Those shepherd men were, were doing their responsibility. They were out on the hillside watching over those sheep. As much as they smelled, they sat there with them. They protected them. They slept with them. And, and sometimes we think that, well, I want to get out of what I am right now. I'm, I don't like what's going on in my life right now. It's, it's as boring as watching grass grow, you know, because that's, that's what was happening in the lives of these shepherd men. 
But they were faithful in what they were asked to do. You may not, like, you may want some change or something in your life. God will take care of that. But be responsible right where you are right now. Because I promise you this, is that if God needs you, and God wants to use you, I have the feeling that he could find you. And why would he have chosen these shepherd men when there's so many other people? But God found them sitting on a side of a hill watching over sheep because they were responsible and doing what they were asked to do at that moment. See, my friend, God wants responsible people. And we may not like where we are, but when we are responsible of doing what we're doing right now, God honors that. He sees that he could use that in their lives. See, opportunity comes to those people who are just doing their jobs. So be where you are. Live the fullness of what Christ asks of you right where you are. Because I could trust in him and what he's doing. When God wants you, he'll find you. Thirdly, the opportunities are many times fearful times in the very beginning. <laughs> you, um, you know, there is those things, any kind of change. I can remember 52 years ago when Arlene and I got married. We were these 20-year-olds who knew everything. And one thing I knew, we were in love. That's, that was just automatic. We were in love, and we knew that. But, but the idea of going, we were moving from, from Pittsburgh to Mississippi. And, and, and moving there, we didn't have a house. We didn't have an apartment. We didn't have furniture. We, we didn't know anything, what we were going to do. We just had a job. Well, I had this great job. I mean, I was making $4 an hour, folks. We had, I think it was around $700 that we got from for our wedding. A few days after our wedding, we're driving away. Man, you know, we drove away. We are looking in a rearview mirror. We seen the family waving goodbye to us. And we said, oh, I'm so excited. We're, I don't know where we're going. I just knew the city. The truth of the matter was, even though the, we were madly in love, we were driving away. I looked in the rearview mirror, <laughs> and this manny man, man, started to cry. Because <laughs> we had no clue. Times making change can be somewhat fearful. It, it doesn't mean that we're lacking trust or faith in God. It means I have questions. And there's questions I don't have answers for. But, but I want you to know is that God is in the midst of that yet. In verse 9, says, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shined around about them, and they were terribly frightened. <laughs> I would have said, they they were terrified. They were in shock and fear. They didn't know what was happening. 
And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all of the people. You see, God really is asking us, I know you have questions. I know it could be frightful. I, I, I know that this is, could be a little bit shocking. But, but seize the moment. Because I wouldn't be bringing this change in your life if I wasn't sure of what I was doing. He knows exactly. The work in which he has begun, he'll bring to its completion. So, so yes, there is some uh, caution. But don't allow that caution to be paralyzing caution to prevent us of trusting in what God wants to do within our lives. Any kind of change. Seize the moment when God is speaking to you about that change. Number four, God will make clear his guidance. You see, this faith walk, folks, here in the sanctuary and there online, this faith walk is not a walk that we walk blindly. God is aware of us. God is talking to us. God wants us to seize that moment, to communicate with him, to trust him and what is going on within our lives. And verses 11 through 14 says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. He didn't say, you will find a Savior for the world. He said, for you. He was talking to those shepherd men, those ones that no one cared about, no one heard about, no one knew anything about them. He says, for you. I'm telling you, there is a Savior who was born in Bethlehem for you, and you, and you, and me, and you, and you, and you, and you, me again. Because I want to remind myself that this was for me, what God was doing within our lives. And let me give you a few guidelines in understanding this. The greater the change, the greater the sign. When God is going to do something, he's not going to allow you to be walking in it blindly. You may not know everything, but he's going to let you know without a shadow of doubt that he is at work within your lives. Any kind of change. So, you know, I, I recall that when, when I was wondering, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with all this change that happened back in March 15th? when everything in a church changed. The church that is 95 years old has never been a place where it had to close its doors and go online. And we weren't stopped of presenting Christ. We were just stopped of presenting it the way that we did for 95 years. You want to talk about being in a rut. Wow, that wasn't even my notes. But God brings change. And when I realize that, God, you are a part of that, even when I don't understand what is going on in that. So what was going on? What was going on in the neighborhood when he all of a sudden saying, we're going to do church differently? 
I'm scratching my head and wondering, okay, God, how are we going to pull this off? We never live streamed. Oh, we recorded the messages, but not live streamed. You folks, you're watching online. You are part of a miracle of what God has done in this body of Christ. I wasn't aware that when I asked Anthony to come online <laughs> on our team, he refused us the first time. So I resorted to stalking. Then, then he came on our team. Then, then before this pandemic hit, his brother Christian, he come, came from Texas, just graduated from, from um, Southwestern with a degree in media. He couldn't go back to Texas. It was shut down. He was stuck with his brother. Then at that same time, we had this little gal named Erica who has the courage of a lion, traveled all over the world, being a part of what God is doing. And her last stint was in Jerusalem for a couple years. And what was Erica doing? Erica was working there and really all over the world or helping other missionaries out in the arena of media. So he brought Anthony on our team. He brought Christian from, uh, from Texas. He brought Erica from Jerusalem. He says, okay, let's do something. But when we were talking about doing something, we're talking about we can't afford to do that. It's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to do what we're going to do. And we didn't have that kind of money to just free up and drop $18,000 in equipment. So I had a guy who's a friend of this church, doesn't attend here particularly, but a good friend of the church and me. He says, Tom, what's going on? And I told him what we're doing. And by the way, we had to spend $3,800 just to make sure that the sanctuary, everything was sterilized before you came in. Every aspect of this whole campus. So what are we going to do? He goes, well, here's what we're doing. And here's what it's cost. And he wrote me a check for $20,000 at that moment. Give me an amen. You see, you think that God was not aware what was about to happen, and he was bringing all these people. God was in the neighborhood. God is actively moving, even when we don't see it. You see, the greater the calling, the greater the affirmation. See, God affirms what he's doing, step by step. And it's amazing, as I started this message this morning, I knew this is the word of the Lord for us. But I wasn't in love with it. I really liked the message until I heard that word of knowledge that God talked about us, about communicating with him in the present, right now. Seize the moment. And all of a sudden, my insides lit up. 
I was on fire. I knew that. I knew that this was a word of the Lord for this congregation. And seizing that moment, we don't always like what is going on in our world. We don't always like what's happening in our own lives. But I want you to know that God does not want you to miss what is happening because he is in the neighborhood, my friend. He is actively moving in our lives when we don't even see it. The third thing, if God leads, he proceeds. For thousands of years prior to the birth of Christ, there was those prophecies you think that since he is the author and finisher of our faith that he's not aware of what's going on? You think that his word when he says the work in which he has begun he'll bring to its completion in you? God is actively moving in your life. He was already here. And I don't want to get caught up in the frustration of this pandemic the economy, politics, all the chaos that's going on in our world today, and miss and miss. I, want, I need to be aware of those things, but I don't want them to be a priority because God is in the neighborhood. There's something that is going on in the realms of the spiritual world that is much higher, much greater than anything that we have ever dreamt. And that only time is going to reveal that when this whole chaos, all this stuff is done, and there's going to be stories and books and movies and people talking to each other, saying, I want to tell you, during that chaotic time, what God did in my life. I thought I was all alone. I was confused. I was angry. I was afraid. But I was reminded to seize the moment. And when I began to recognize God is in the neighborhood, I began to see something much different, much greater, much more powerful. See, the fourth thing, final, those who obey will find the right way. You know, when we walk in obedience, it's all we ask. He's not asking you to walk in a in, in having a full game plan all figured out. That's not faith. But when God is saying, go ahead and do this, do it. Twenty plus years ago when I was asked to come here to be your pastor. I was at a church for 19 years. I loved that church. When I was called to come to be interviewed, I really thought that they were calling me to come to do a marriage seminar or something of that sort because I did that all over the country. But they wanted to interview me to be your pastor. And when we, after the interview, and we flying out. Arlene looked over this city and she said, we'll be back. I go, who are you talking to? She prayed a prayer saying that the committee that met, they had to be in 100% unity and wanting us to come. I forget how many James people were there. I don't know, 10 or 12 people on that committee that we met. 
There are three passes that they were looking at. And unheard of, there was a hundred percent unity of saying they wanted us to come to candidate to be your pastor. After that moment, after we were voted in and accepted, we were in the Indianapolis. I could remember as clear as I'm looking at you. I could taking a shower and I bent over crying. 19 years I'm going to leave a place that I felt so secure in, where my children grew up in, a home that we lived in, in those times as a family. And now everything was changing. I knew that I knew I knew that I knew that I knew that I was to be the pastor here. But I had to see what God was doing in the neighborhood because change is not always easy. You see, church, I don't want Chandler First Assembly to be what it was before this pandemic hit. I loved the church for 20 years, but God has something different. God is transforming us into a work because the world is changing. And He's putting together body of believers her learning to be obedient to God and whatever that change may be because you see when you seize the moment here in the sanctuary and there online when you seize the moment God is faithful when I live in the day when I particularly don't like sitting and nothing happening I'm bored I don't want to see grass grow. I don't like the smell of the sheep. But God was in the moment. He was in the neighborhood. And he was doing something. And he lined it all up for decades, for centuries. And it was about to happen. You are not forgotten. He is very aware where you are and what's going on in your life. What I'm asking of you this day, don't allow the fatigue of what's going on in our society. Allow the Holy Spirit to set you on fire saying, I am with you. I am in your neighborhood.